Good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and uh, let's get real. I really like that opening there, and I, and I like the theme of First John that we're looking at of getting kind of real, and so let's get a little bit real. What's the point of the church, right? What, what, how do you measure the success of church? And I guess part of that is what's the goal in your life, too? What does God want to do in you? Uh, you know, being in the church, growing up in the church, and, and uh, through the 90s and all that, there's a lot of books out there about church growth. And so a lot would say, you know, the point of a church is just to, to grow or, or maybe to provide a place for, for people to connect or have friends or, or things like that. But what is the point of the church? And, and to know that, we have to first find out, why did Jesus come? And so let me ask that. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did God send his son, Jesus, to come to earth? What did he come to do? To, to, to absolutely, to save us. But is that... Is that it? Why did Jesus come? And when we understand why he came and the things that he intended to do, it really informs us on our life and what he wants to do in us. You know, to understand why Jesus came, we first have to understand humanity's great problem. Now, you've probably heard in, in society and culture that all religions are pretty much the same thing, right? They all teach the same, which is absolutely false if you start to look at the other religions because they all define humanity's problem differently, and then therefore the solution is different, right? Islam, you know, one of the great big religions in the world today, what, what does Islam define our problem as? The problem, they would say, is not seeking God's guidance. That's the problem. They, they really wouldn't nail it down on sin, but the problem is not seeking God's guidance. So that's why you can understand a little bit throughout history, Islam can forcibly take over people and make them become Muslim, that's okay. That fits within their worldview, right? Or how about Hinduism and Buddhism? They're a little bit different, but they define humanity's problem the same way. Ignorance, or, or really that we're deceived. So Hinduism, Buddhism, again, one of the great religions in the world would say that there is no personal God, but rather all is God. And our goal is to, to get over the deceptions, right? And realize the divinity that is in us. And then we'll be reincarnated over and over until someday we enter the impersonal oneness, right? So in those two great religions, they're seeking to get rid of self, right? To get rid of all the, the deceptions that are out there. How about secular humanism? It is a religion. It would claim not to be, but secular humanism, how would they define the problem? The problem is superstition, all those religious people believe in those myths. And so for them, the answer is science, right? Science or society, government, things like that, seeking these other answers. Well, to understand why Jesus came, we must understand that humanity's problem is sin. Sin, that is unique to the Christian faith, that our problem is sin, and by the way, it's the only true faith, right? This is humanity's true problem is sin. Adam and Eve, God created them, by the way, not a myth, true story. God created Adam and Eve, put them in a garden to worship him, to follow him, give them one thing, don't eat of the tree, they ate of the tree, sin. So sin entered and all have sinned. That is our great problem. So at the beginning, I said, why did Jesus come? He came to save us. He came to save us from our sin, absolutely. And that's the gospel. That's why we gather. That's why we have hope that God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Does it stop there? Because a lot of times, I think we come to church and we think, all right, I'm just saved. Or maybe you've heard this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Thank goodness I'm saved. That's great, 
But does it end there? Why did Jesus come? Turn to 1 John chapter 3, please. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, and we're going to be on page 1,124. This is a neat passage because in here we see two times where John says, Jesus came for this reason. Jesus came to do something. And when we understand that, we get a lot of understanding about what God wants to do in and through us. So 1 John 3, starting in verse 4, says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So right here, here's the first one. Why did Jesus come? To take away sin. Well, what is sin? Right? If you ask, what is sin, how would people answer that? Lying, cheating, stealing. You know, go through the Ten Commandments, adultery, murder, right? There's all these specific sins, but what's he talking about here? Right? Sin, he says, is lawlessness. That's interesting, that's a, a weird way, I think, to define sin. Sin is lawlessness. So sin is the state of being without law, without rules that we would follow. Here's what he's talking about here. He's talking about rebellion. Here, this sin is not individual sin. So real quick, adjust that in your brain. We're not talking about these things that you do. We're talking about the state of being which is a state of rebellion against God. Sin, sin can be used different ways. Yes, individual sins. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it was an individual sin, but then sin entered the world and changed things. So sin here is not referring to individual sins, but rather a state of lawless rebellion against God. That is humanity's problem, rebellion against God. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was because they said, I want to be in control. God says, I'm, I'm Lord. And they go, no, we want to be in charge. That's rebellion. Rebellion is the issue. And as we read through scripture, we, talk, we see this sin, this rebellion results in death, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So everybody's in this boat. And the wages of sin is death. And so God came, as we see, to set us free from this. Whoever sins... John writes in the Gospel of John, is a slave to sin. So again, we're, we're getting kind of to the root here, not just the things that carry out, but the root. And this is important because here we're talking about this, this freedom that God came. He came right here, it says, to get rid of sin. You know, in life right now, in society, it's always been this way. People think that uh, when they go their own way, right, they reject God, and they, then they're, they're being a rebel. The truth is, when we are following sin's path, we're not being rebellious. We're just doing what everybody else is doing, right? We're just going with the flow of, of society. The real rebel is one who sets Jesus as Lord in their life. Now, Jesus came to forgive sins. Remember, we already saw this in 1 John 1, 9, right? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. A lot of times we stop there, right? I'm forgiven. Thank goodness I'm forgiven. But here, what does he say in verse 5? Not only to forgive us, but to take away sins. Have you realized that? Jesus came, one of the reasons, to take away sin, to remove it. Jesus came so that sin would cease to exercise its tyrannical bondage. This is really good news. You know, as I prepare, you know, as any pastor prepares to preach, there's something called the burden. <laughs> and I remember reading books early on, it's like, 
you're not ready to preach until you have a burden. And here's the burden that the Holy Spirit put on me, this right here. Do you understand that Jesus came to set you free? Jesus didn't come just to forgive your sins. Yes, he came to set you free from those sins. He came to set you free from being tied to all these things, right? Because sin is destructive, right? Relational issues, addictions, whatever these things are, they are destructive. They, they lead to pain, depression, sickness, physical sickness. Sin has consequences. But Jesus came to set us free. Look at verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There's a second time we see him say the reason he came. Why is he writing this? Verse 7. Let no one deceive you. We already saw this before. There were false teachers who had been part of the church who had left, who were trying to deceive. And what is the deception he's trying to fight here? The deception is you can be a child of God because that's where we are in, in John. He's talking about children. Of, you can be a child of God and live in sin. He says, no, no, no. Do not be deceived. The child of God no longer lives in sin. So if your life is defined by sin, what he's saying is you might not be a child of God. If you are a child of God, here's the great news. You're free from this bondage to sin. Again, we're not talking about individual sins. The Christian doesn't become sinless. What we're talking about is a pattern of life. That's why words are repeated like practice or keeps on. This is a life all about sin, right? Sin is our identity. Maybe you, you hear those people who claim a sinful identity. Oh, I am a Christian and I am this. And it's a sinful identity. Well, that doesn't match up with what Scripture says that we are not defined by sin anymore. Again, this is kind of black and white. And John is helping us to say, do you have this freedom? If so, here's what it looks like in your life. Good news. But also a warning, if this is what your life looks like, you might need to check, do you really belong to Jesus? Because the person abiding in Jesus, we see here, will not be in rebellion to God as father and as moral lawgiver. That's this big thing here, right? The person who is a son or daughter of God will not live in sin. They will not continue in rebellion. Because remember, sin is rebellion. It is lawlessness. So the person who says, I now belong to Jesus, but they continue in rebellion, that makes no sense at all. Right? We see that Jesus came to save us. And in Colossians, we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. This big change that takes place. And here's the second thing Jesus came to do, right? He came to take away sins, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. Here is a new person introduced in this letter, the devil. If you haven't been in church very long, just so you know, the devil is a real being, a real person, probably a fallen angel, somebody who was an angel, uh, you know, a powerful spiritual being, rebelled against God, he wanted to be like God, was cast out, and now he has many demons with him. This is a real being sent to deceive us. He's called many things in scripture, right? He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the dragon. He's called the deceiver. He's called Satan. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I love this. Jesus came to rob the devil of his power to hold people under sin's control because the devil 
he has power. We don't need to fear him, but we need to respect that. But Jesus came to whoop up on him. No, I'm serious. I love, a lot of times we get this picture of Jesus holding the lamb, right? And, he, and in this picture, he's always white. And he wasn't white. But he's got this flowing brown hair, and he's holding, the, it's like, oh, he's so peaceful, right? That's my Jesus. How about he has, like, sleeveless shirt on, rope tighter, you know, and a whip. There was a time where he used to, I mean, he was tough. So right here, Jesus is kind of talking trash. We see this in Luke 11. I love this passage. Luke 11, 21 to 23 where Jesus had just cast out a demon, and they're accusing him of casting out the demon by the prince of demons. They say, you are a demon. That's how you can do this. And he says this. He says, if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, which it had. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Leave that up there. Jesus here is saying, Satan is a strong man, but I'm stronger. Satan is the one here who has spoils, which is souls, humans, people. Jesus came to rob him, meaning, yes, to save and capture souls from his power, from this tyrannical bondage of sin. This is aggressive. This is offensive. Jesus came to do something specific to whoop up on the strong man, to take his stuff, right? If any of us here are actually saved, which I hope most of us are, we used to be in this bondage, but Jesus rescued us. Not because we deserved it, not because we were special, but he came to rescue us and bring us to him. How did Jesus win this, right? As we see in this verse, he came, the stronger man. How did he do it? He went to the cross. That's how Jesus won these souls. He gave his life on the cross but then he rose from the dead victorious. You know, when he died, the darkness came over the land. It looked like God had lost, but that was how God was winning. That's how we got forgiveness, but then he rose from the dead victorious. So Jesus came to do all this for our benefit, right? To take away sins and to destroy the works of the devil. So what does this look like? Look at verse nine. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, we see this. It's a pattern. Whoever lives a life of sin is a slave to sin, but Jesus came to set us free. As we've already seen through 1 John here, the people of God, the children of God, that's what he's talking about. Those born of God are going to look different. If we don't look different from the rest of the world, there is a, a big problem with that, right? This idea of a Christian that just looks like the rest of the world has become kind of normal, but it's not supposed to be because we are truly set free. And the greatest test and result of this freedom is that we love. We love from the heart. So do you want to know if you're born of God? Do you have a heart of love? That's the greatest test. Do you love what God loves? Do you love God's people? Or are you like, I, I want God, but I'm not super crazy about God's people. I, I don't really want to be around God's people. I, I understand that. But here we're saying, here's a great test. Do you love others? Do you love specifically God's people? Have you ever had a, 
bitterness, anger towards somebody, right? Or a lack of love. Just put it that way. Has there ever been somebody that you just didn't love that person? Who was most affected by that? You, wasn't it? Right? When you feel that way, it really normally doesn't hurt that person as much as it hurts you. God came to set us free from even that, free to love. And now we're going to get a, a case study. Look at verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Here's this example, Cain and Abel. Again, not a myth. These are two actual children of Adam and Eve. They both brought sacrifices to God. One was acceptable. The, the other one wasn't. We don't get a lot of detail in there. Um, but, but God rejected Cain's. And so Cain was jealous of Abel, and he murdered him. And he said he murdered him because he was not of God. He was of the devil. But we're not now talking about literal murder, right? If we raised our hands, who here has murdered anybody? Probably nobody would raise their hands. Uh, I saw one hand go up right over there. Okay, Siminski's? Hmm, okay. <laughs> no, we're actually talking about a heart condition of hate. And hate reveals a heart condition incompatible with a child of God. That's what we need to get with this. Hate, hate in the heart is equivalent to murder. And a child of God does not have that kind of heart. Why? Because the child of God has been set free. They are no longer a rebel. The one with hate in their heart is still a rebel against God. That's what it's showing. Again, we're not talking about a bunch of individual sins necessarily. We're talking about a heart condition in rebellion against God, which results in things like this, hate, hate. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about this, right? He said, you've heard that it said, do not murder. He said, I tell you, he who hates is guilty of murder. In the same way, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. The person who has lust in their heart is guilty of adultery. It goes to the heart issue. But here's the thing. Let's be honest. We can learn to fake it, can't we? we can our heart can still be in rebellion against God, and we can learn to look pretty good especially maybe if we grew up in the church, right? We grew up here in the lingo, and, and we, can, we can pretend. We can, we can walk this way. We can write the verses, all these things. We can pretend, but yet our heart can still be in rebellion against God. It's like the, the little girl, you're driving in the car, daughter, and say, hey, sit down and buckle up. You know, she's standing on the seat. That's the way we used to do it. Um, sit down and buckle up. No, I'm not going to do it. Oh, I'm going to pull over and give you a spanking. Sits down, buckles up, Right? Driving down, then the girl a little while later says, Daddy, I'm still standing up inside. <laughs> right? I, I mean, parents, you've had those situations. But isn't there sometimes where we're, do, we're, we're following the rule, we're doing this, but inside, we're still standing up. We're still rebelling, right? We're still hating. He's going to the heart. And again, I want us to go back to the, the, the beginning. Jesus came to set us free. These things in our heart, it's not freedom. It's bondage to sin, and it's destructive to us. God came to set us free. There's the hope in this. 
Jesus didn't come just to gain us eternity, which he did. He came to actually set us free to experience the freedom he has for us, to experience this abundant life. And our love is a natural overflow of Jesus' love toward us. Look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You know, a lot of times we want to jump straight to the action, but first let's look at this, right? What is love? Jesus is the evidence of love because he gave his life for us. It starts there. We don't muster up this love. God musters up this love in us because Jesus already showed it to us. When we receive forgiveness from him because of what he did, then he starts to live and love through us. So our love is a natural overflow. But then he gives us examples of this love. Love is a verb. Love is active. Love means you see a need, you fill that need. You don't just, in the book of James, right? James, Jesus' half-brother, says, if you see somebody, you're coming into church, they're sitting outside and there's no jacket and it's 20 degrees out there, like, oh, be warm, <laughs> right? Go be warm, I'll pray for you. No, you have a second jacket, you give them the jacket. That's love that we actually enter in, we do something. Because love is a verb. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, sin is still a struggle for the believer. So let's go back to that, right? We're not totally sinless, although Jesus came to, to break the bondage of sin, to set us free. Christians can still sin. So what happens when we do? What is the result when we do sin? Because sometimes, and, and maybe you can look at your life, if you could get away with whatever it was, you, you do it, and you get away with it, and, and you have no feeling of condemnation, right? There's no remorse. It's like, I got away with it. The child of God is going to struggle with sin, but there's going to be a result. So look at verse 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So right here, we're looking at this, this sin in us. In verse 19, we shall know we are of the truth. Verse 20, if our heart condemns us, here's what this means. Those times where you sin, you do something, and your heart is like, it pokes you. Oh, I know that was wrong. I, I, I wish I didn't do it. If our heart condemns us, what does it say? It says God is bigger. God is greater than our heart and knows everything. Meaning, when our heart condemns us, that's actually a good thing. There, there's a little bit of that, that shame, that guilt, but at the same time, if we have the spirit that lives in us, there is a reassurance. Yes, feel that, but get over it. God is bigger. Jesus died for that. So that's one of those, if you're like me, if you can get in a pattern of sin, you start to pull away from God. You start to pull away from God's people, and it can just get worse. He's saying, deal with that right up front. When you sin, admit it. That's okay. First John 1, 9, confess your sins. 
But then turn to him and let him reassure you. Jesus saying, I covered that one. God, I'm sorry I did it. Yes, I know you're, and I covered it, and I covered it. If our heart doesn't condemn us because we're walking well, then we have confidence. And that's the goal, this, this confidence that when we sin, we take it to him, we receive forgiveness, and we have confidence in him. When we walk in righteousness, we have confidence in him. That's what he wants for us. Freedom is found as we abide in Jesus by believing in him and walking in obedience to him out of a heart of love. So why did Jesus come? He came to set us free. He came to get rid of sin so that we could walk in holiness. And he wants, this is good for us, right? He wants our relationships to be great. He wants us to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. He wants to break the addictions in us that, that lead us away from him, right, that are destructive. He wants to give us what we call the abundant life, joy, peace, despite circumstances. He, he wants us to have marriages that are awesome and that are an example of Christ's love to the church. He wants parents to be great parents. He wants kids to be great, obedient kids, right? These are the things that God sent to do. He wants to do these things in us. That is the abundant life. He didn't come just to save us so we could just be saved sinners. He wants us to get over the sin. That is really good news. He came to set us free. And here's the important part, though. I, I asked at the beginning, what's the point of the church? Is it just to, to get together, to sing some good songs? No, this is a place where we learn to live in that freedom. This is a place where we bring others to experience that freedom. Jesus came to set people free. That mission has been passed on to us. That's the mission. So is a church successful? Are people being set free from sin? Right? Or is it just getting together and doing some stuff? Our, our point, that's why we want to get real. Our point is to get real so we can get through our sin, so we can experience the freedom, and then we take that to others. We want to help others experience the freedom from sin. Destroy the works of the devil. Remember, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. And so we're going to have a chance to uh, see an actual application of this. Joanna is here. Joanna is a, a missionary in Guinea. Uh, she was in Burkina Faso, uh, and we went there a couple years ago. Um, Zach went there twice. But this idea of what's the church about? Destroying the works of the devil, setting people free. That is our mission here. But God has also blessed us to be part of that mission elsewhere. And so we're going to hear from Joanne about what God is doing, and we're going to start with a video. It's a, about five minutes long. So watch this video, uh, these pictures, and just see what's going on. And then we're going to hear from Joanna about what is happening in Africa. Tell us what's going on in Guinea. Well, how long have you been there first? In February, it'll be two years. Okay, two years. And you were in Burkina Faso before that. We were familiar with that. Um, and now you're there. And here's one of the things you all should know. When they moved to Guinea, we were asking, all right, what are you going to do? And Joanna's response was, I don't know. I, I, I really appreciated that because it was a, we're going to figure out what God, how, his plan there. It's going to be different than in Burkina Faso. So what has God done since you've gotten there? What's your mission now? Yeah, so God's been doing some exciting things in Guinea. It was a, 
a slow start of just having lots of meetings and figuring out where the needs were and how God could use us. And so um, a part of what we do is we host teams that come out, like you guys talked about bringing a team out in June, and then interns that come out for a little bit longer. And so part of what we do is just developing and discipling people, um, and that's both those who come work with us and then those there that we're working with. Um, and then as people come out to serve with us, we plug them into ministries that we have connected with in Guinea since getting there. And so you saw some of those. Um, we partner with the Child Rescue Center, and um, it's actually run by local believers. So for us, that just means going in and hanging out with the kids, playing games, loving on them, just encouraging the staff. Um, we also host eye clinics. And so we have been trained how to do a very basic eye exam. When groups come out, we can train them how to do an eye exam. But we always do it in partnership with a pastor and a church because they use that as a ministry outreach. And so we're very excited that all of them have kind of bought into that. And so they use it as an opportunity to reach out to their neighborhoods at the end. Um, after every person is seen, the very last thing they do is the, um, there's church members there to offer to pray over them in the name of Jesus. And so that has led to um, further conversations about the gospel. And I found out a couple weeks ago that from an eye clinic we did several months ago, one person has given their lives to Christ as a result of meeting with the pastor. So that's really exciting for us. Um, we also partner with a ministry for persecuted believers um, that was started just for a need because as people gave their lives to the Lord, they lost everything. And the pastor contemplated at one point if he should stop sharing the gospel because people were coming to know the Lord and then he had no means to take care of them. And he realized that not sharing the gospel was not an option. And so um, through that Many years later now, this site has been started to work, um, to work with persecuted believers. We also partner with a student center, or it's an English center, actually. And so with our teams, we do cultural activities. We plug our interns in teaching English. We've taught English. So those are just a few ministries where God is at work and where we've been able to plug in and join them. That's cool. Um, one of the things I think is really important and why we want to partner with Joanna, we don't partner with a lot of missions organizations or missionaries, but what sticks out about Joanna and their group is how they partner with local churches. Um, a lot of times missions organizations, they just swoop in and then swoop out. Um, so when teams like us go, we're, we're not the main thrust. We're just supporting what the church is already doing. Um, so when we come in June, and how many can come? Up to 10. Up to 10. So sign up soon. Um, what are we going to do? So hopefully we'll be doing some of those same ministries you got to see in the video, doing eye clinics, um, doing a cultural activity with our student, our English center. I keep calling it a student center because they call it a student center, but in Guinea that could mean up to like 35, 40 years old. So most of them are between 18 and 40. So an English center, we do a cultural activity with them. Um, and a, lo a lot of that is just, we call them touch points because it takes a lot of touch points before somebody is really ready to hear what you believe and to hear more about Jesus. And so that's a lot about building relationships. We'll probably do a kid's day and just all the activities I've talked about we'll hopefully be able to be a part of. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you mentioned people that get saved lose everything. Why? So specifically with one people group in, in particular, but with others, um, their family wants to make their life so miserable that they deny Jesus in return to um, the predominant religion. And so they will kick them out of their homes. They won't have anything to do with them. Sometimes there is physical persecution. They will lose their jobs and nobody else will hire them. They will be kicked out of their homes and nobody else will rent to them. Um, even uh, if like one parent g gives their life to the Lord, the other parent will take the kids away so they, don't have, they can't really have anything to do with the kids. And so their whole goal is that they will be so miserable that they'll deny Jesus and go back. Wow. 
What is the predominant religion in Guinea? Islam. Islam. Is it a mixture of Islam and kind of the, the folk animism or mostly Islam? Um, so in Guinea, it's probably 85% Islam, but there is some of that mm. folk religion mixed in there okay. as well. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, so I think that's another reason why teaming up, why we focus worldwide is we don't experience that kind of persecution, but yet we're so blessed with resources to be able to partner with believers around the world. Yeah. Cool. Uh, anything else we should know about what's happening in Guinea? I think that covers most of it. Awesome. We want you guys to come out. Thank you for all you do to be a part of what's going on there. We'd love to see some of you come out and join us. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Um, yes. <laughs> Let me pray and we're going to continue to worship. Father in heaven, um, God, we thank you for your word. Jesus, I, I am so encouraged as I read scripture and see you didn't come just to save us and then leave us in our mess. You came to set us free. Um, you came to set us free from addictions, from, from sin, those things that entangle us, um, that draw us away, that create pain in our lives. God, we thank you that you came to set us free. Um, and God, we also want to partner with setting others free. God, our neighbors, our family, but also in Guinea. Father, I, I pray for Joanna, um, for that ministry, that you would bless them. God, that you would show us, and anybody in this room, maybe that's considering I should go, or, or I want to hear more about what's happening in Guinea. Um, God, they would, they would find out what that is. God, use us for your glory. God, use your church, and not just Common Ground, but the other churches in this area.